0: Welcome back to the Girl Scout Troop Leader Experience podcast. I have another guest today, and because we have just met, I'm going to go ahead and let you please introduce yourself, tell us who you are, where you're from, and how you're involved with Girl Scouts.
1: Sure. My name is Sue Peterson. I'm from Northern California, Chico, California, and I'm in Girl Scouts of Northern California Council. And I have been a troop leader for five or six years now, um, started out kind of as a helper during the second year of Daisies and then took over when this troop became Brownies. And they are now a mixture of juniors and cadets, first year cadets. And I have also taken on the role of leader service Manager. So in my, well, kind of a mixture of leader service manager and program service manager, the same person has been doing that job for a while. So I have kind of taken on the role with her. So she is teaching me the ropes because her troop finished last year, but she's offered to stick around and help us with events in our service unit. Wow. So how many girls are in your troop? First of all, I have a troop of 13 now. Prior to COVID, we were up to around 19. We lost a few due to that, and then because of the cadet, um, the girls who are cadets now are actually at different schools because in our area, elementary school is K through fifth, and they go to middle school in sixth grade, so the troop has been split up between three different schools in town for middle school, so we lost a few girls due to that as well, but we have about 13 that are active right now.
0: Thirteen is really good for that age, actually. I it is so hard for older girl retention. Which, speaking of, do you have any tips for keeping
1: girls interested and engaged as they go into middle school? So I actually found your podcast because of that. Because when the troop aged up from brownies to juniors, I had a lot of people telling me that that was the age where a lot of girls decided not to do it because of other interest areas and things like that. And so I was looking for resources to kind of diversify what we were doing with our troop. And I found your podcast and, um, another podcast and I think it's Girl Scouts of river valleys or something like that has a podcast. And I think the biggest thing that we have done is really try to mix up, not just doing badges, but also allowing the girls to have fun. So we always, have a number of badge meetings and then we'll have a just fun meeting where they get to do something you know whether it's a holiday party or sometimes we'll go on a field trip to do something fun but we always try to make sure that every couple of months we're doing something where they just get to be social with each other and sometimes it actually works out that they get a badge so every october prior to this last one we'd gone to the pumpkin patch and that was really fun they got to do the maze and hang out and ride the wagon and all that stuff, but we could also have the people who ran the pumpkin patch give them a little presentation on how the pumpkin patch was grown and things like that, and so they could get a badge out of it, but we don't worry so much about badges for those meetings. We're just primarily giving the girls time to form those social bonds because I've really found that a lot of them keep coming because they want to see each other and talk to each other and they were in different classes. Even when they were all at the same school, they were in different classes. So this gave them a chance to socialize. And now that they're at different schools, it really gives them a chance to socialize. So we always try to give them that chance.
0: I think that's really good advice. COVID has been such a, um, I don't know, I guess a dark horse in my um, older girl retention plan. My poor middle schoolers, we had such a robust plan of what they were working toward in progression that just completely got interrupted and the social thing is so real because um, at this point none of my younger girls when it it—we're just about to go back to in-person which thank goodness but none of my younger girls have been attending the last several months of zoom meetings anymore only the older girls are only the middle schoolers really have still stuck with it and even that only half of them have still stuck with it and they primarily have said what they want to do is talk. They don't really want to do badge work over Zoom. They want to hang out. They want to talk and catch up and sometimes they want to talk about middle school things and sometimes they want to talk about what's going on in the world. And it's just been it's interesting because basically I just then hold a container for them to talk over Zoom, which I don't know. It's it I, I guess that is really critical.
1: Yeah, and especially I don't I it sounds like you haven't gone back to school, but in our area We have been back in school since January, but the middle schools and even the elementary schools are very split, so we're on an a.m. p.m. schedule for middle school, so my daughter doesn't really, she has a couple of her friends in the p.m. session with her, but a lot of her friends are in the a.m., time period, even the ones who go to her schools and they can't get there early and they can't stay late. So there's no, no real chance to socialize at all, even if they're at the same school. And I know the elementary schools are much the same. So I think that that virtual connection was really meaningful for my girls. And I actually had a pretty good, I was shocked that we had a really a very good attendance rate in our zoom meetings. We took a break over the summer, which we usually do. And prior to that, when we went on um, lockdown, we had a couple of meetings and I purposefully made those really active meetings because I'm a college teacher and I was teaching online at the time. And I could see how hard it was to hold even college students' attention in the Zoom environment. And so we did a cooking badge where I actually had them do kind of like a cooking show so there were three girls, and they gave me a list of ingredients and all of the girls, I told all the girls to be in their kitchen and what supplies they would need and they all cooked a quesadilla and they made a pineapple drink from Disneyland and um, can't remember oh and a dessert, and they all made it together and so that was really fun and then the second one we did was a drawing badge where they all got on and again, three girls had three different drawing projects, but they all had a list of things that they needed and they all did it. So I think that really helped in the virtual environment to make sure that there was constant action because it's really, unless they're just talking to each other, which I always let them hang out after we're done and they usually stick around for 20 to 25 minutes, just talking to each other. A lot of them do, Um, but in Zoom, I would say just find stuff that they can do instead of just teaching them stuff, which we would do a lot of that stuff in person where we were going over how to do something. But I just tried to pick the things that they could do themselves.
0: Yeah, I think that's really smart. And I've heard that from a couple of volunteers in my area as well, who have done some um, comparable, but not the same activities. And I had this whole vision of like, in COVID, I'm going to do all these podcast episodes where I'm going to give people ideas for really cool meetings like that. And you know what is so funny is it's not just the girl's bandwidth that has really been tapped into during COVID, but for a lot of us, it's the adults too. And so for me, man, I just, I just didn't have it in me. And I am so in awe and amazed by what you've been able to do. And I, and I want to share both things because I think that um, for those who are still trying to find ways to make Zoom fun and engaging and um, to keep that attendance high, I think that's the best way to do it. But I also think there's something to be said. If, if you're feeling like me, if you're listening to this and you're feeling like me and you're just struggling to just keep making meetings <laughs> at this point, then um, holding that space for the girls to still just be able to have social time and just talk to each other and see each other and whatever like that does matter too it's just very different and I think I've been really hard on myself because I thought I would be a leader planning these really cool meetings like like your troop has been doing so that is just it's been hard but it is what it is so we also
1: oh I do think it makes it easier that I was teaching at the time um because at the time I think I just kind of viewed it as another format for me to to use zoom in and so I was doing it in my classes already. And I notice as I've shifted our most of my college classes are still online and are going to remain online for an indefinite period of time. And as I've shifted to being online, the longer it's been, the harder it's been. So I've been thankful that we went back in person in January and we have been able to have our first in-person girl meeting um, a couple of weeks ago because I, I, like you, was getting really burnt out and it was just hard to plan anything. I was thankful that I had the girls and maybe that's something to tell troop leaders is give your girls some choices, um, have them come up with things Because the cooking badge was really their choice. They all wanted to do that and the drawing badge. And so giving them some some leeway and saying, you know, I know we're all tired, so let's pick something that everybody's really wanting to do, whether that's fun or a badge, it doesn't matter. And I think if you give your girls that leeway, a lot of times they can take some of that load off your shoulders.
0: That is absolutely tremendous advice. And that's tremendous advice, whether you're on Zoom or in person, that is the only way. I mean, we're all going to get fatigued, even in person, if we don't have the girls take on the girl led, excuse me, role. And I, um, I'm so glad you said that because that is so, so. Good. That's such good advice. So let's, um, first of all, let's circle back. That's what everyone's saying these days, right? Let's circle back to um, the fact that you mentioned you found my podcast as a resource because I think you're the first person that I've interviewed that, when talking about resources that they've utilized for their truth, they've mentioned this podcast. And I'm so touched by that. That is like, it makes my heart feel so full. So thank you. And if you're listening to this and you have used, this podcast as a resource for your troop, please shoot me an email or something and tell me, um, it's just at gmail.com because it does mean so much to me to hear from real people that are listening, especially when I'm feeling burned out. So thank you so much for saying that. Well, um, let's take it back even further and tell me, were you a Girl Scout growing up?
1: So I was a brownie for two years and I don't have... A huge amount of memory from it. Um, it was funny because I'm still friends with a girl who lived down the street with me, and she said she remembered coming to my house for a brownie meeting, which I always remembered going to her house for the brownie meetings. So, I guess my mom was a co-leader with her mom at the time. Um, the, I think the attachment that I had to Girl Scouts was more as an adult. So I remembered being a brownie, but I didn't really have any strong memories of it or any strong. Um, activities that we did. I remember doing crafts and singing songs and things like that. But as an adult, being someone who was interested in empowering women and empowering girls, one of the things that I was really attracted to was the message of Girl Scouts, because I'm aware of how much that younger age, especially transitioning into middle school and high school, is sometimes difficult on girls in a unique way. And I really like the Girl Scout message. So when I ended up having a daughter, it was one of the first things that I uh, was hoping that she would wanna be involved with. And so when we found the Daisy Troop, she was just super excited about it. Um, And so I was excited about it as well, just because of my attachment to the organization's message. So that's kind of where it comes from. Even though I was a Girl Scout, I don't really remember much about it.
0: And so you knew when you had a daughter, you hoped she would be involved in Girl Scouts. Did you also hope to be involved as an adult or did that happen by
1: necessity? It was more necessity, actually. So the Daisy Troop was started by another woman at our school and she was great. And I would go and help out with the meetings. But it was I, I was working full time and I coach a speech and debate team at the college level. So I travel a ton for that. And so it was really nice when it was led by someone else and I could just be involved when I could be. But she switched schools after, um, well, first of all, during the second year of Brownies, she had a baby. And so she even kept coming when she had the baby, but she obviously needed more help. So a couple of us moms stepped up and helped. And then the next year they changed schools. And so we were left without a troop leader. And no one else would do it. And my daughter had just fallen in love with it. And it was one of the things that she was really committed to doing and loved. And so I knew that I just had to do it because I didn't want to lose her being able to do Girl Scouts and there was no one else to do it. And since then, I've been thankful. At the time, I was a little bit overwhelmed and didn't know if I could do it. But since then, I really feel like. It's taught me a ton as a person just because I wasn't used to leading younger kids. And it's also taught me a ton as a person just because I'm one of my weaknesses is organization. I'm very good at, I'm a speech and debate coach. So I'm really good at putting messages together, pretty good at teaching because that's what I do. But organizing things and being able to translate that into something that a nine-year-old or an eight-year-old or a seven-year-old can understand was really difficult for me at first. So it's taught me to be more thoughtful about what I'm doing ahead of time and making sure that everything is in place because that's really important for younger girls in order to do that and also for their parents. So that's one way that it's really helped me as a person.
0: It's so funny that you said that about learning how to translate it into nine-year-old speak because, um, and I've talked about this on the podcast before, so you may have heard me say this and and people who have been listening to the show for a while may have heard this before, but I don't have kids of my own. And so I have stepkids, um, but they're teenagers. And so I've never... I've never raised a nine-year-old, so I don't even speak nine-year-old, and that's been um, a really interesting thing for me because um, I this is the avenue that in which I work with kids, and I think I've probably gotten a lot better in the longer that I've done this. But um, it was so funny because when I first started my troop, my girls were daisies and brownies as well, and they um, <laughs> they used to tease me that I talked to them like they were master's students, so and And, but they actually would tell me they liked it because they would learn new words. And they said, it made them feel like I thought that they were that smart. And so I think a lot of adults don't speak to kids, especially if they're around kids all the time, or if they are, if they have younger siblings too, so that's the oldest kid in the family, then they're spoken to like, they're still little. And so that's been a really funny experience for me as like learning how to speak a nine year old. I just really relate to
1: that. Exactly. (laughs)
0: So tell me what keeps you motivated to keep coming back at this point. That's how you got started. But what keeps you coming back?
1: I mean, a lot of it is my daughter. Um, She is really into Girl Scouts. Part of it, it, I think, is I see a lot of motivation from other troops. We've been really lucky in our area that we have had two really solid troops of girls who have just finished. So one of them, all the last of them graduated last year. That's the person who I'm working with as the on the service unit. And they have been together since they were Brownies. And then the other troop has a few who are still, I think the youngest of them is sophomore, but they've had a few who have graduated last year, a few more who will graduate this year and then some juniors and sophomores who are going through. And those girls, there's at least four of them who have been there since they were daisies. And so that's always kind of an inspiration to me to look at that and look at the girls in my troop and think, you know, wouldn't that be cool if they can graduate high school and still have that same set of friends and Girl Scout troop mates that they did when they were in kindergarten and first grade. I think that would be awesome. So that's part of it. I think part of it is that I want to be able to do the more adventurous things with them. So when they're daisies and brownies, you know, we went we have something called June Jamboree here. That's kind of like what sounds like maybe campery in other areas. So we have a weekend in the mountains where we go to a boy scout camp and very rustic. I wouldn't even call them cabins. They're just kind of walls and the girls sleep overnight and they go and do archery and learn how to light matches and all of those outdoor activities. And so we had done that as brownies and just had had our junior, first year junior experience and it was canceled last year. But I really want those more adventurous like camping experiences and being able to travel with them and do trips and things like that. And so that keeps me going as well. And just the fact that they keep coming back and they're excited about it makes me excited.
0: So, um, okay. So how about your service unit involvement, your service team involvement? Because you got involved with the troop for your daughter, but why
1: did you get involved with the service unit? I feel like I have been instilled, and this is probably my mom, um, but I've been instilled with a feeling that if I want something to work that I have to contribute to that thing. And so when I joined as a troop leader, I found out about the service unit. I started going to the service unit meetings because I felt really overwhelmed and lost. Like I said, I didn't have a background in Girl Scouts. There just seemed like there was so much and it happened so fast because the year that I took over, I had not done been really involved other than my daughter selling nuts and candy the year before we do a fall nuts and candy sale that starts almost immediately in the year. And I was immediately thrown into that, didn't know about finding somebody to be a product parent, didn't know. I, I just felt like I didn't know anything. So really, I went started going to the service unit meetings out of desperation. And I did learn a lot. And then I was probably going pretty regularly for the first two years and then volunteered to be someone who would um, do outreach at the schools because I'm a speech and debate coach. So going and doing presentations is not something that I'm uncomfortable with. And so I volunteered to do that. And then I really enjoyed the people who were in the service unit because they're positive and optimistic and super involved. And so they just make, they know all the fun things to do. They know all the insider information. And so spending time with them is just really fun and motivating. So I got more and more involved. And then this year, as we're starting to have these older troops age out, it means that their leaders who have been really active are also looking to remove themselves from responsibility. And so other people have to step up. And I just felt like I had to be one of those people.
0: Yeah, yeah, I think all of that is very relatable. I think probably because I, I kept on thinking, yeah, that's me, that's me. And I was like, actually, it's probably most people listening to this, right? Mm-hmm. So, um, very, very relatable story. Tell me
1: about one of your proudest moments as a Girl Scout volunteer. So, I guess I would say I was looking at this question ahead of time and I couldn't really put my finger on anything. I mean, I would say the fact that our troop has come through with 13 girls out of COVID is one of my prouder moments because we had a leader change last year. I lost my two co-leaders because they didn't want to be, they either didn't want to be or couldn't be online. One of them has a todd had a toddler at the time, and it was just way too much to try to do Zoom meetings around his schedule and her work schedule and everything else. And So I lost my co-leaders when we went online and then I was struggling to, to kind of figure out whether I wanted to keep going online or whether we should just take a break. And so I think the fact that I kept going and that we came out on the other side and that we've had 13 girls who are remaining and we're picking up new girls all the time, which I think of as a compliment because girls don't, those girls are joining because their friends are telling them to join. They're inviting them. And that to me sends a signal that the girl is really having a good time and is enjoying it. And so that's probably my proudest moment. But prior to that, I would say going to um, to June Jamboree, which is our Campery, is probably the biggest thing for me because I'm not traditionally a camper. <laughs> I don't, sleep outside in tents very often or do any of those things and it was really cold and miserable both of the years that we went Um, and so I had to keep a positive attitude and make sure that the girls felt confident in what we were doing so that was probably my second proudest is that I was able to get through those and make it a positive experience for the girls
0: yeah those are really good so what's one of your, or, or some, if you have multiple, what are your craziest and silliest Girl Scout memories?
1: Um, I would say, so we have a sleepover at our water park, our local wa- regional water park, every September as school starts. And that is always the craziest thing um, that we do, because we get there and you sleep out on the lawns. And we decided to rent a cabana because we had extra money the last year that we were able to do it. And we had obviously a big troop at that point, because that was the point at which we had 19 girls. And I think 16 of them came to that water world adventure. And then a lot of their moms came to that water world adventure. So we had this open cabana and kind of a hillside of grass, and we must've had 21 people out there sleeping and, you know, girls staying up late and giggling and all of that and trying to get them to go to sleep. That was really fun. And then I think the other thing that we do is the sleepover in the mall, which is called Mall Madness. And that is another thing that the girls, you know, anytime you have a bunch of girls who are staying up way too late, um, they are going to get kind of crazy and so those are always the craziest experiences that we have because the girls just get really silly they do really silly things everything is funny but it's a ton of fun and it keeps me young so I really enjoy those experiences
0: um 100% agree the overnight Girl Scout Giggle Fest is truly one of the most gratifying experiences of being a Girl Scout volunteer yeah Um, so you've talked about a couple of obstacles or challenges that you've faced as you've been a volunteer, but
1: what would you say has been your biggest obstacle as a troop leader? I think keeping other parents involved because I am one of those people, like I said, I'm one of those people who, if something needs to get done, I realize that I have to be involved in it, but I am also very easily, I kind of take on too much and I don't ask for help enough. And so that's one of the things that I run into a lot is that I'll send out one message and say, hey, I need help doing this. And then if I don't hear back from anybody, I kind of just assume that nobody can do it or nobody's interested in doing it. And I end up doing it myself. And a lot of times what happens is when the event is going on, I'll have another mom walk up and say, oh, I wish I would have known that you were doing this. I would have helped out. And a lot of times it's just that they missed the message or they thought somebody else was gonna step up and help. And so they didn't. So one of the things that I really have to continue to remind myself is to be willing to ask for help and to be willing to ask for help again if I don't get it the first time and be willing to ask again if I don't get it the second time, because there is a lot to do and it can be really overwhelming as a troop leader to try to do it all. Like this year I took on cookies because our cookie mom stepped down because her daughter was not into the online meetings. And so she's not involved. And I really wish that I would have pressed more to find somebody to help me do that, even though a lot of it was online and it was much easier this year than in past years. It was still a lot for the last month. It's been kind of exhausting. So I would say that's the biggest challenge that I have is just yeah making sure that I have the help I need.
0: That is a common issue. And it's so funny. And again, you probably know this because it sounds like you've listened to a lot of my episodes, but um, I really set myself up for a a very similar problem because not having kids in the troop of my own one of the things that I really established from the get-go was like this is a drop-off thing I don't want all the parents there okay I feel like I'm going to be judged I don't want that many people breathing down my neck it's a drop-off we have enough adults to meet the you know safety ratios of course but um but other than that go home like
1: yeah well (laughs) and I think that's a I think that's important too, because it gives the girls freedom
0: too. I think that, yes. And I think that the girls are their best versions of themselves when their, their parents aren't there. I really do feel that way. So that was like a huge precedent that we set from day one in our troop. But now we have kindergarten through seventh grade. And at this point, it's like, I need help. I need help with all the things. And I also have a problem. I feel like you'll get this too, where I like doing all the things so I need help realistically because I have limited bandwidth, but it's hard for me to pick what I want to have someone else do. So one tip, and I've shared this on this podcast before, but one tip that I would say to anyone listening who's feeling this way, that they send out those emails for help and no one answers. consider what the actual thing is that you're asking for help and consider out of the parents in your troop, who do you think would be good at it? And who would you actually want to work with on that thing? And then reach out to them individually, one-on-one and say, you specifically, will you help me with this? Or can you help me with this? Because people often have trouble saying no. So a lot of times if you ask somebody individually, they're probably going to say yes, unless they truly can't or truly don't want to. Um or if they've been in therapy and learned how to say no better than I have, then the maybe place. they'll also say no. But otherwise, that is generally really effective. Plus, then you get the parents that you want to work with to help you. Because we also have a recurring thing that I hear again and again and again from people. And you, if you're listening, you may feel this way, where there are certain parents that you really, 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 really don't want to volunteer for that thing. Like, please, uh-huh. not that one. So, um And I say this with love, right? Because I love all of the families in my troop, but, um, but there are just, sometimes there's just personality clashes and you just don't want certain people to help with certain things. And so, um, so I know that's a real thing. So if you're listening, hopefully that helps.
1: Yeah, no, I think that's a great idea because for example, those overnight things, it, it really takes a unique personality Mm to do that. And so you don't want the the overly protective, worried about everything mom to be doing that, but they're a great person to put together all of the kind of health paperwork and all of that stuff because they're very, Mm -hmm. you know, detailed about that and concerned about that. And so, yeah, I think that's a really good message to kind of say, okay, where are their strengths and let's give them jobs that are really tied to those strengths.
0: And there's also a level two of like, if you already have X parent helping you and you know that they are BFFs with Y parent and asking Y parent to be the additional helper if you need multiple people is going to be helpful. So just thinking that through of like of the individual people, or I know I need three helpers and these three parents are really close. So if I ask these three parents to do this together, they're more likely to say yes because they want to hang out they hang out anyway. And okay. so these are just some things. And again, I just always go back to, I do this with the girls too. I don't, I for the most part, I don't ever just say, I need a helper with this. Can you help me carry this? Can you help me take this? Um, just can anybody, I pick a specific girl and I say like, Susie, I need you to do this. <laughs> wow. And it's amazing how much more effective it is. So that's just my my tip for that. Um, but, but speaking of advice, what advice do you have besides that for new troop leaders?
1: I would say, first of all, check out your service unit, because I know that they were lifesavers for me. And as soon as I found a couple of people who served as resources, I, they offered me their text, you know, their phone number, so they could text them. And they were just, invaluable to getting me through that first year because there was so much happening that I didn't know. Paperwork and deadlines and how to do the eBuddy system and just there's just so much all the time. So I would say either get in with your service unit or if that doesn't work out with your time then I would ask your service unit to direct you to a couple of troop leaders who can serve as mentors. I think that's super important and I try to do that with new troop leaders in our area, we've set up a Facebook group for our troop leaders in our area. And I try to make sure that whenever someone signs on and says, I'm new and I don't know what's happening, I always make sure to reach out and say, hey, I can be a resource for you. Just let me know what your questions are because that makes a huge difference. And then the second thing I would say is don't be afraid to fail. I think that I was very judgmental of myself because I'm a teacher for a profession, I think I was constantly reflecting on this idea that I was having to perform these tasks to teach them these skills, to do these badges and that that those skills had to be something that they could be, you know, I'm in, in college and so we do a lot of assessment. And I think I was just in that really strict mindset of they have to learn something at every meeting. And after about six months, I started to realize that first of all, the daisies and brownies could not care less how you teach them something they are just excited to be there learning something as long as you make it fun and then the second thing I realized is a lot of what they're learning is just to be better human beings it's not necessarily about the badge skills so certainly go through the steps of the badge but don't be concerned if somebody doesn't learn exactly how to tie that you know knot or do something else that's related to the badge, as long as they're trying and learning how to learn new things, I think that's the most important thing that you can do, especially with the younger girls, but that even continues to this day. I just think about it as, even if they don't learn the skill exactly like they were supposed to learn the skill, by learning to fail, they are learning something. And hopefully they go home and work on it, but even if they don't, they've learned something through that meeting process.
0: I think that is, Really, really, really good advice. So if you are a new troop leader, go back and um, just fast forward like a minute and a half and re-listen to that again. I think that was really good. Similarly, what advice do you have for people who are
1: considering starting a troop in the next year? Wow, this is such a unique year to do that. I think a couple of things. The first I would say is be generous to yourself and really decide what the minimum is that you want to do. And when I say that, I mean, we have troops that meet once a week. We have troops that meet once a month. We have some troops that only meet once every six to eight weeks as the schedules work out. And so it's really different for every troop. And I think because Girl Scouts is at least in our area, I don't know what it's like in other areas, but our area is constantly desperate for troop leaders. And that's especially true in this COVID era, because so many people don't have the technological skills to run a Zoom meeting, they just don't feel comfortable doing it. Or they feel like the girls are resistant to being online. Or they feel like if they're going to be have in person meetings, now they have to manage, you know, mask wearing and, Uh, hand sanitizer and all of the protocol that goes along with it. So they feel really threatened by the situation. But I think if you just say to yourself, okay, I'm going to start this daisies, you know, if you're going to start a daisy troop, they have these, um, they have the petals of the daisy that they're trying to earn over the course of being a daisy. So say that you're going to have that many meetings over the course of two years. Maybe that's just once a month meetings or once every six week meetings. But what it does is it establishes Girl Scouts as something in the girls' lives. And then as we come out of this, you can decide whether you want to increase that to maybe now we want to meet for sure once a month, or maybe we want to meet once every two weeks, or once every three weeks, but that's something that you can adjust on down the line. So. Don't be afraid to make Girl Scouts something that works for you because remember you're volunteering and if there's a need, then you are fulfilling that need, whether you're doing it every week or just once a month. And I think that's really important because most people I think who start doing it realize that it's not as scary as it seemed before they start doing it. But I think because they're told like, this is the way that it has to work, sometimes they don't start doing it. And so- we never get them as leaders.
0: Yes. And with that, I want to say thank you so much for spending some time with me today and sharing just a little bit of your story and the story of your troop. It's been truly a pleasure to hang out with you today.
1: You too. And thank you for starting this podcast. I was serious when I said this was one of my go-to resources when we got to be a junior troop because you always had A different viewpoint and I feel like a lot of times that's what I really appreciate about this podcast is that you do have a lot of different types of leaders and different types of experiences that are represented on here, and I think that's super helpful to someone who's trying to figure out how they fit into Girl Scouts.
0: I feel like the Grinch I feel like my heart just grew I like I can't thank you enough for saying that I am as you guys all know this it's been tough to keep this podcast going through COVID and it does mean so much to me and hearing that it just makes me smile so big I really 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 appreciate it so thank you yeah